oh, what do I even say after that? Look, I don't want to start by talking about myself. I want to start by talking about Craig. And I really want to honour Craig uh, for the season that we've had, six months or so. Um, I really feel God's provided the right person that we needed in this season. And I personally have benefited so much from Craig's leadership, from Craig's care. He's been my pastor um, over this time, as he's been all of our pastors, caring for us, leading us, showing us uh, Jesus uh, through how he lives, but also his teaching and also through his leadership. And it's been such an awesome, um, helpful, uh, fantastic time, Craig. And this is my last sermon with you around, so I I did want to say that. But part of me wanting to say that is because we're now in a situation where Craig's about to leave. Like he's finishing up on the 27th of March, on the 28th, they're on a plane <laughs> overseas, they're gone. And, uh, and part of me thinks, what then? Uh, what, what are we going to do? Once, once Craig goes, it's up to me. That kind of scares me. <laughs> and I'm, I can feel for the disciples... Uh, the, the night before Jesus uh, goes to die on a cross, uh, the scene from John chapter 13 through to 17, uh, the upper room discourse where Jesus, the night before he's betrayed and, and dies, he's talking to disciples and there's this air of Jesus is moving on. He's leaving us. He's been establishing and saying that I'm going somewhere else and where I'm going you can't follow and there's anxiety brewing and fear and troubled hearts. And I feel for the disciples. And in this this amazing uh, conversation that Jesus has with his disciples from 13 through to 17, and the prayer he has in 17, uh, is, is wonderful and profound, preparing his disciples for his departure. Preparing his disciples for his departure. What do they need to know for when Jesus is gone? What do they need to know? While, while Jesus leaves and moves on, and then they take on Jesus' mantle and mission to the world, what do they need to know? And we need to know this too. How can we take on Jesus' mantle and mission to the world while he's not here? While he's not here. And from the passage this morning, John chapter 14, there's five things, and all starting with P. I love alliterations when it helps us remember things. And they are place, person, presence, power, and peace. If you're taking notes, that's place, person, presence, power, and peace. The first one, place. If you have a Bible, open it up to John chapter 14. There's already been some discourse and some, some talking, uh, but we'll, we'll jump in at chapter 14. And Jesus says to his disciples, My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I not have told you uh, that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Now, other versions have different words for that rooms or place. And uh, King James Version, an old uh, translation, says, um, in my father's house, there's many mansions. And so I think there's this uh, thinking that we get that Jesus has gone to heaven to prepare for us a mansion. If you've ever seen The Good Place on Netflix, 
um, where they go to heaven and everyone has their own mansion, their own special house, carefully tailored to their needs and desires and personality. And we get this image that you know, Jesus has gone to heaven to prepare a mansion for us, a place for us to live in that's ours and where, you know, that to, as a reward for all the hard work we've done in this world. That's not what Jesus is saying. That's not the image that he's using. The word uh, monet in, in Greek is, is closer to uh, dwelling or, or abode. It's very close to the word for abide uh, in, in the original. And it's, it's not about the place. It's about who's there. Because Jesus says in verse 3, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come and I will take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. So this place that Jesus is preparing for his disciples is not a mansion or a building or a special room in, in heaven. It's, it's the presence of God. He's preparing the place where they can be with him for eternity. And this, this place, this future place, brings hope for the disciples because things are, gonna about, are about to get very tricky for them. Jesus is going to leave, and he's not going to be around anymore. And they'll, they'll face persecution. They'll, they'll see their leader, their great uh, leader, die, crucified, tortured, horrible. They'll be persecuted. There'll be accusation. They'll be put in prison. They'll be martyred. But their home is not here. Their home is where he is. And though he's not here now, they know that he's prepared a place for them where they will be with him forever. And it's the same for us. Our home is not here. Our home is where he is. And Jesus is preparing a place for us that we might live with him for eternity, forever. And so Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Uh, our home is not here. It's where he is. And Jesus says, you know the way. Verse 4, you know the way, the place where I'm going. And so Thomas, uh, doubting Thomas, as he's known from what he does later on, and says to Jesus, how can we know the way? And this is where we move to the next P, person, where Jesus talks about his identity and how he fits. How does he make this way? So if you go your Bibles, read from verse 5, Thomas says to him, Lord... We don't know where you are, where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So Jesus talked about this place where we can be in the very presence of God and, and Jesus preparing for us. Thomas goes, great, show us the way. Show us what we need to do to get there. Show us that secret path or that special prayer we need to pray or the things we need to do, the things we need to say and believe. Show us those things and so that we can get there. It's a, it's a good desire. But Jesus says, no, no, you've missed the point. That's not it. I'm not here to show you the way. I am the way. I am the way. Jesus prepares the way to the Father by He Himself sacrificing His life so that we don't need to go down that path. 
We don't, we don't follow the path that Jesus has tread. We follow Jesus. We go to Jesus to get to the Father. Now, I found it very odd that Jesus didn't finish there, because that answers the question. Show, you know, how do we know the way? Jesus says, I'm the way. Full stop. Jesus doesn't end there. He says, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Now, why does he add those two others? I think because they're all tied together. They're all in, in, importantly and intrinsically linked together. He's the way to the Father, the way by which we are saved, the way to the place that He's prepared for us. He's also the truth. Because the way to the Father, Jesus is the one who reveals truly who the Father is. And it's not that He shows us the Father, or He like hears the Father and, and let me do the work of revealing Him. He shows us the truth. Jesus is the truth. He is the Father. And this is shown in, in uh, Philip's bold question that comes later in verse 9, sorry, verse 8. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough, enough for us. Philip gets it. He's, yeah, you're the way to the Father. Show us the Father. Now, that's a very bold question. A very, very bold question. Philip like, he's, he's not portrayed as particularly intelligent in John's gospel. Uh, because to ask to see the Father is, is borderline blasphemy, because no one is allowed to see the Father. In the Old Testament, throughout, it's, it's a very big theme throughout Scripture that we cannot see the Father, because we are sinful, we're broken, we're separated from Him. There's no way we can do that. And, but Philip asks, show us the Father. And Jesus' Jesus' answer in verse 9, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Because in Jesus is the presence and the person of the Father. This is where we get into that confusing waters of the Trinity. There's God the Father and God the Son. And the Son reveals to us the Father because the Son is among people. He came down to, to show us the Father. And so when we see Jesus, we see God. We see the Father. He is the truth. He doesn't show us the truth. He is the truth. And again, by going down the way, Jesus, and by knowing the truth, Jesus, we receive the life. That's Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, we heard from, from Karen about the, Jesus saying, I'm the res- resurrection and the life. It's not that he, we don't, we don't experience the same thing that Lazarus experienced, where he was resurrected to his own life again. We res- when we have faith in Jesus, we're not given our own lives again. We're given the life, Jesus' life. He died and rose again, and it's in his life we live. And it's really interesting, in chapter 14, uh, there's three questions that kind of drive and, and, and build this dialogue. And the first one is Thomas asking about the way, and Jesus responds, I am the way. The second one is Philip asking to see the Father. Jesus says, I am, you see me, you see the Father, I am the truth. And the last one is Judas, not Iscariot, who betrayed him, but another Judas. It says, how will we see 
you manifest among us? How will we see you and experience you? And Jesus answers by his spirit, a spirit-led life. We'll talk about that a bit later. But way, truth, and life. Jesus exclusively is the way, the truth, and the life. Now, he says no one comes to the Father except through him. He makes a bold, exclusive claim. Uh, One of the commentaries I read this week uh, by Gary Burge, he says, in a world of religious pluralism, as in there's all these different religions and worldviews and perspectives, anyone making an exclusive truth claim will find opponents who object not necessarily to the religious system offered, but to the exclusivity of such a claim. So objections to Christianity and to other religions that claim exclusivity is not so much to what they claim, but to the fact they claim it's exclusive. He says, in, a, in general, our age views all religious systems as offering variations of the same theme. Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, Christianity, Taoism, all religions essentially point the way to God through principles of belief, believing the right thing, believing who God is, believing um, different doctrines, and life, a uh, life of living, what we need to do and how we need to act and, and, and certain things we need to obey. And that's what leads us to the Father or to salvation or to satisfaction, whatever. And Gary says, but to stand in one of these traditions and affirm that there's something ultimate, something unrepeatable, something unparalleled is offensive to the reasoning of our day. It's offensive to say Jesus is exclusively the way. Now, don't get me wrong, other religions also claim absolute truth. Muslims would believe that their religion is the way to the Father and to Allah. And Muslims would certainly honor Muhammad, their prophet, above everyone else. But they would say he's revealed the way to Allah. They would never say he is the way to Allah. Buddhists, similarly, would honor Buddha above everyone else in their religion as as the great teacher of their religion. But they would say he has shown them the path to enlightenment. Not that he is the path to enlightenment. And other religions claim absolute truth, particularly how to find salvation and hope and meaning, but they claim it as a, as a doctrine, as a tr- truth, as a teaching that must be followed. Not a person. But that is what Jesus is claiming. He's not saying he's not merely pointing to the way, he is the way. He's not just sharing the truth, he is the truth. He's not just providing us an avenue to life, he is the life. And that's an absolute claim that cannot be compromised, although we, we do keep getting pressured to compromise that. And that's what he wants his disciples to know his identity, his, his person, as a person. He is the way, the truth, the life. And so, and, and us too, in those moments where we're pressured to, to, to compromise the exclusivity of, of Jesus, we must remember it's not a teaching that we claim is absolute. It's a person. Jesus is absolutely God, is absolutely the way, the truth, the life. 
It's not a teaching, it's a person. And that person is present with us. That's our next P, presence. We keep reading down verse 15. Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, or helper, or counselor, or paraclete, to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he lives in you, lives with you, and will be in you. So Jesus says he's, he's going to leave, but he's going to give them something. He's going to give them something to help. Uh, the, the word um, uh, advocate in NIV, uh, ESV says uh, helper, um, uh, other translations use counselor or comforter. It's all this word used to describe the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Later on in verse um, uh, 20, uh, 26, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, so he's clearly talking about the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, I will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. The Spirit is our helper. With that word, advocate, the original is, is, is uh, uh, paraclete, in Greek. I only say that to, to help us understand what John's saying, because that word is not actually, there's no English word for it. And a lot of translators have struggled to, to translate this. Uh, in the Latin uh, is, um, is advocate, and that's where we get that word advocate. Uh, if we go back to paraclete, what, the, what that word is, is a conjunction of two other words, para, which means with or along with. You know, we, we've got, we use that in English as well, parallel other things. With, along with, and cleat, it's about calling. So someone who's with us in our calling. In, in the Latin, does something similar. Advocate, add, along with, also. And then vocation, vocate. Someone who's with us in our vocation, in our calling, in our purpose. And even comforter, one of the original translations. That, that word has actually shifted in meaning since uh, that, it's been translated that way. Comforted, come, uh, again, together with, and then comfort, fort, fortify, fortress, strength, power. Someone who's who, with us to, to help and strengthen us, empower us. And that's what the Spirit does. It empowers us in our calling, in our mission, in our vocation. Now, how does he do it? In a whole heap of ways. But Jesus says uh, what he does in 26. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. Earlier on, he was called the Spirit of truth. And the greatest act of the Spirit that the Spirit does in the life of the Christian is to teach us truth and to point us to Jesus. Because the most effective act of the devil is to feed us lies and to draw us away from Jesus. And so that's what the Spirit does. He, Jesus gives us the Spirit that the Spirit might lead us and remind us and show us the truth of Jesus, to show us the person of Jesus. But there's something even more special, more profound in the presence of the Spirit in our lives, in the Christian's lives. In verse 18, Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, 
you are in me and I am in you. The, whoops. That's all right. Hope he's okay. That's uh, Noah, my son, by the way. Um, <laughs> it's God's, the Spirit is God's presence in us. And get this, this blew my mind as I was reading this week. Verse 23, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and he will come, and, sorry, and we... Jesus and the Father will come to them and make our home with them. That word home is the same home, same word that Jesus used earlier to say he's preparing a place for us, preparing a home for us, an abode for us. So our home, Jesus is preparing for us with him, but in the meantime, he's making his home in us. And so Jesus' present presence is through his people. So we're not alone. We are not alone. Jesus, we're not separated him from him. We have the Spirit sent from God to help us, to teach us, to point us to Jesus, to show us truth, to be with us, and to give us power. And that's the next P, power. If we jump back a little bit to verse 12, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing. And they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. Now, the question to ask there is, well, what things? What is Jesus talking about? What things does he mean? And what John is referring to is all the acts that Jesus is, has been doing, all the miracles that Jesus has been performing, works and signs that point Jesus Sorry, point others to Jesus. So does that mean that we're going to do miracles and things even greater than Jesus? Yes. Yeah, that's what Jesus promised. Now, it's not saying that we will have more power than Jesus. We need to understand what was the point and purpose of miracles in John's gospel, because John actually makes a really, uh, really big effort to to uh, to share what the purpose of miracles were. Whenever Jesus performed a miracle, John didn't call them miracles; he called them signs, because they were things that pointed to the person and the power and the purpose of Jesus. Ultimately to his death and resurrection, the, the great thing that Jesus came to do. So when it says that we'll do even greater things than these, it's not that we're going to have more power than Jesus. It's saying that the work that we do in the power of the Spirit will bring more glory to God and point more people to Jesus than has ever been before, even when Jesus was around. And if you were to read the book of Acts, the next book in, in the Bible, and if you were to read through the history of the church, you'd know that that's actually true, that we've seen that. God being glorified. People coming to faith through the power of the Spirit, through God's people. God has equipped His people with power. Power to heal. Power to prophesy. Power to speak truth. Power to care for people. And we often emphasize those gifts, those kind of out there uh, exciting gifts of the Spirit. But recently, 
the Spirit has been challenging me to see how the fruit of the Spirit has power. The power of love, the power of peace, the power of patience, of kindness, of goodness, of gentleness, of faithfulness, of self-control. The Spirit transforms us to put on the character of Jesus, to become more like Jesus. And there's power in that to bring glory to God, to bring others to faith, to bring others to Jesus. Christians are not just reproducing the work of Jesus, we're continuing the presence of Jesus in this world. And Jesus wants his disciples to know that, that we that he's no, he's not going to be, he will be separate from them, but he'll also be present with them. And that spirit will give them power and it will bring them peace. The last P. Uh, John kind of, fra- or Jesus frames this discussion uh, with, with this idea of peace at the beginning and towards the end of the chapter. In verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And then at verse 27, peace I leave you, my peace I give you. I not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. How are the disciples to live in a world where everyone hates them because they're Christian and their leader's gone, can't be seen anymore? And they're experiencing persecution and, and, and uh, jail and, and being killed, let alone the poverty and the suffering in the world. How could they have peace? A few, um, a few weeks ago, about seven or eight weeks ago, uh, on our last week of leave, we came home uh, to a house that was flooded. This was before all the floods on the East Coast. Uh, a pipe, you can do a video, Tim. Uh, a pipe had burst in our uh, vanity. This is just one of the videos I found to kind of show you the damage. Um, this, is, this is another room further away from where the problem is. And it was about like that much water across a, whole, a third of our house. And uh, so we came home to this. And like, what are we going to do? Um, there we go. Found the drain. Uh, and... Uh, People came in to um, dry it all up. They tore up the floorboards. They took out the carpet. They cut into the walls. And now our house is like a construction site. We can't stay there anymore. So we, we're um, living elsewhere. And we're trying to figure out and find out when are we going to be able to go home? When are we going to return? And, and there's a lot of questions. Um, there's a lot of financial questions as well. Uh, and, you know, on top of that, just this week, uh, our car um, didn't start leaking coolant, started pouring out coolant, um, and uh, <laughs> that was a stressful experience, and, and that's on top of what's, what's you know, been quite an uh, intense discernment period, which you now know, uh, me considering and others considering uh, the campus pastor role, and that's on top of um, two children with, with different but significant um, special needs, and so there's a lot going on in our lives. And, and so, so we, Emily and I, we kind of have the, like this resting level anxiousness um, with everything going on. And a lot of people come to us and say, how are you so peaceful? How, do you, how are you so together with everything going on? 
and we don't really feel that, but, but the answer is because our peace comes from God. It's not that we don't have anxiety. It's not that we, we're not worried about things going on, not that we're not, you know, afraid or scared or, or worried or... Because peace is not the absence of anxiety. Peace is trust in God through it. And that's what the Spirit gives us. Peace doesn't remove these things that might bring us, bring us anxiety and fear and depression and hurt. But it reminds us that Jesus has prepared a place for us where we will be with him and he will make everything right. That he is with us through it. The Spirit is with us to, to help us, to comfort us, to be with us. It's not that God is distant in those moments. He is with us by His Spirit. It gives us power, equips us to, to trust in Him, to point people to Jesus, bring glory to God. And most of all, it reminds us who Jesus is. And I want to finish returning to the person of Jesus, because I think if we get that right, everything else will follow. We understand and realize who Jesus is. I'll invite the band up. Uh, you can come up at this point. Uh, as I was reading and studying, I came across uh, this sonnet, or three sonnets actually, uh, written by Don Carson, who's this um, really um, high-powered, very, very significant uh, New Testament scholar. And if you know him a little bit, this sounds a bit out of place for him, but if you read a lot of him, then this makes sense, because it really shows his heart and his um, intimacy with Jesus. But I read this, and I thought, I have to share this, because it just highlights who Jesus is. It's a little bit wordy, difficult to follow along, so the words will be on the screen. There's also copies of it at the back you can take. But as I finish, let's reflect on who Jesus is, the person of Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way to God. I did not come to light a path, to blaze a trail that you may simply follow in my tracks pursue. My shadow is like a prize that's cheaply won. My life reveals the life of God, the sum of all he does. So how can you the sons of night look on me and construe. My way is just the road for you to run. My path takes in Gethsemane, the cross, a stark rejection draped in agony. My way to God embraces utmost loss. Your way to God is not my way, but me. Each other path is a dismal swamp or fraud. I stand alone. I am the way to God. I am the truth of God. I do not claim. I merely speak the truth as though I were a prophet, but no more, a channel stirred by spirit power of purely human frame. Nor do I say when I take his name upon my lips, my teaching cannot err, though that is true, a mere interpreter. I'm not some prophet voice of special fame. In timeless reaches of eternity, the triune God decided that the word, the self-expression of the deity, would put on, his, put on flesh and blood and thus be heard. The claim to speak the truth, good men applaud. I claim much more. I am the truth of God.
I am the resurrection life. It's not as a merely bear-loving, life-giving drink, a magic elixir, which men might think is cheap because though lavish, it's not bought. The price of life was fully paid. I fought with death and black despair, for I'm the drink of life. The resurrection mourns the link between death and endless life long sought. I am the firstborn from the dead, and by my triumph, I deal death to lusts and hates. My life now extended to people and ply them with the drought that never satiates. Religion's page with empty Sorry, religion's page with empty boasts is rife, but I'm the resurrection and the life. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for who you are. You didn't just show us the way, you are the way. You don't just show us the truth, you are the truth. You don't just give us life, you are our life. We praise you, Lord, that you've prepared a place for us, that our home is not here, it is where you are. And we thank you that you have revealed to us the Father. And we thank you that you've given us your spirit, that we might live for you, that is your life in us. Our home is with you, but your home is in us. And we just thank you and praise you. And we just pray you would help us persevere in these difficult times. With, with you not physically around, it's hard, Lord. And there is a lot of troubled hearts. There is a lot of anxiety. But Lord, we thank you for the peace that you give us. That even though those, so much is going on, we know and we can trust who you are. That you are exclusively the way to the Father, the truth and the life. And Lord, we just pray you'd help us. We pray you'd, you'd help us use the Spirit, that we'd allow the Spirit to show us truth, to guide us to you, to convict us, to change us, to transform us, to be more like you, to grow, to, to, to put on the character of Christ, of Jesus. And Lord, we submit to that process because we know it can be hard and it can hurt. But Lord, all of this we pray would just bring you glory. And we do pray that you would return and you would come again once and for all to bring your people back with you into your presence and into the presence of the Father. And and we thank you that the Spirit is now present with us. Lord, in all of this, we pray for your glory and you to be glorified on this earth. And we pray you'd use us by the power of the Spirit. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.